This is the At 530 on Main podcast. I'm Sean Collins. And I'm Mike Davis. And we're here to discuss the convergence of digital and physical experiences in today's world. With Extend Group as an expert in designing online experiences and VPS Architecture, an expert on creating physical experiences, you will hear unique discussions on technology, theory, and more that merges our separate areas of expertise into one podcast experience. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy today's At 530 on Main podcast episode. We are in the Extension Studio at 530 on Main uh, here with my co-host, Ed McMahon, or I mean, yeah. uh, Mike Davis. Yes, sir. He always goes there. He'll, I have to beat him to the punch. It's like, oh, I'm just <laughs> yes, a, sir. Yes, sir. Um, it's awesome. Uh, rainy day here in Evansville, Indiana, but it's a uh, great day because we get to uh, talk to Andrew Bacchus in the extension studio we've got uh you know we've had a 30 minute conversation on everything yeah we've had it on everything and known andrew for a little bit uh met at a servant leader organization a couple years back and know him um through it but i am really excited for him to tell us what he is doing today because I know uh, Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Southwestern Indiana is doing great things in a community that really needs our attention um, and needs our time. It uh, has a very big impact on, on the youth of today and that's our future. So uh, Andrew Bacchus, his, uh, while at Big Brothers and Big Sisters, their goal is to help all youth achieve their full potential through the mentorship of a kind, caring adult. Man. That's it. Kind, caring adult. That's the secret sauce. We talked a little bit about, I mean, you know, the last chance you or whatever, it's like structure, right? Like someone who cares. I love that. But a little bit about Andrew here. Um, His passion for leading youth serving organizations stems from his experience in obtaining an elementary education degree. Uh, he could see the stark contrast between uh, children who had had a safe nurturing relate who had safe nurturing relationships and those who didn't, helping connect adults with children who could benefit the most. Seeing the positive outcomes of those relationships inspires and motivates him. Um, he's passionate about faith, family, and sports. Being a Cowboys fan <laughs> and weekend golfer keeps him humble. So when I sent you that information, it was before the start of the season because we've had to reschedule a couple times. Yes. And so being a Cowboys fan, I'm used to being humbled, but I, I'm going to break that. Peacocking right now, <laughs> right? It's good times for Cowboys fans. We'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, no, it's um, it's been kind of amazing to watch. Is uh, My son really is into – he's starting to follow NFL, and he's trying to figure out who his team is. But he's like, I have to have somebody close. I don't want – he's kind of like me. He doesn't want to follow the Colts because that's who everybody follows. He wants his own way. Where can I go? So he's leaning towards Cincinnati Uh because they're at the – like he's like, I won't be a bandwagoner (laughs) right now. Like I'll get on board, whatever it is. And I'm like, well, as long as you can go and do the research on the icky shuffle, (laughs) I can go there with you, right? The Super Bowl against the 49ers. But they did put out something that was pretty cool. They actually had the uh, jerseys 
where it was the white tiger, the albino tiger. They're coming out with those next year. That that looked pretty pretty slick. But um, for the Cowboys, they did. They made a huge turn. Dak's the real deal. Uh, you know, I was nervous about that contract. It's a lot of money. It's tying up the organization to one person for a long time. Yeah. But he's proved to be worth it. The difference between the teams that win and the teams that don't win in the NFL's quarterback. Yeah. It's pretty pretty stark contrast. So We see one that's being told he might be, you know, they should bench him all of a sudden. Talking about Mahomes? <laughs> yeah. Peabar's crazy. Wow. Well, I disagree because I say, yeah, it is about the quarterback, but if you don't have an offensive line or you have problems with your running game, you're just – I mean, those good quarterbacks, I mean – are only going to get you so many wins. A good quarterback can get you to the playoffs, but they might not get you over that hump. And I'm just always shocked that when they have bad quarterbacks on bad teams and they're like, this quarterback's the greatest. They're like, mm-hmm. they won two games. <laughs> I mean, a good a good quarterback that's worth the salt is going to get you six or seven wins just by being a good Championships, right? They only six won. or seven wins. Just by being that good quarterback. Yeah. I, I, the rest I, of the team got to get you over the hump and get you to you know where I was going. the title game. I would be willing to wager, if we look at the playoffs this year, the the final four teams will all have elite quarterbacks. Oh, yeah, they always do. Yeah. But it's the rest of the team that gets them there. Because if you don't have – I mean, how many years did Peyton Manning drag the Colts to the playoffs and they were the worst defense and that killed them when they got to the playoffs? Yeah. Well. Or the vice versa, where you have a bad quarterback and they look good because the defense is number one, then they get exposed when they How many play of them have really defense? been, though, when you look at it, and that I can remember? Because I'm going, okay, Joe Montana, mm-hmm. Steve Young, and then you had the Elway to Manning kind of, you know, flop there, switch. Who's It's the next guy up. You know, that gets – you have the elite guy, and then it's the next guy up that's going to – that gets them, and they actually win the Super Bowl with them. So going back to the, the Niners, and then actually Bledsoe to uh, Brady. Brady. Yeah. And then, uh, well, who was at uh, Baltimore had a decent one. Well, actually, it's what's going on at L.A. right now, right? It was like the Goff to, Goff to Stafford. Stafford. And Stafford, I mean, you can see with that total dynamic on that team, right, um, where – the offensive line never protected him in Detroit. Now they have a balanced offense and molded something around him, and it's paying off. Yeah. So, yeah. Next guy up. Next sure. guy up. Mm-hmm. But you got to have that pressure, I think. Like, I know there's, I don't know if the long-term big deal contract benefits anyone but that quarterback. But that's me. We'll see. I know. I know. In in the Cowboys' case, Jerry's win now yeah. mentality. Yeah. So. Yeah. Carry it. Carry it. Anyway, uh, so we somehow, of course, I get us in a rabbit hole of of you know. Andrew said Cowboys and what that meant, and we went whoa all over the place here. Well, in that experience, right? Like. We show our age, I think, a little bit with who we root for. Absolutely. I, you, you already said your son's trying to pick his team. Yeah. When I was a kid, the Cowboys were the America's team. Were, still are America's team, easy. And, you know, they, <laughs> they were dominating. 
And it was cool to be a Cowboys fan, and my dad hated him. So it was like an easy transition to be a Cowboys fan. You will never guess. I, I'm, I'm guessing that you'll never guess. who. You remember the big puffy jackets in like 19... 19- mm-hmm. 93, 92. Like the starter jackets? Yeah, charter, starter yeah, jackets. Yeah, yeah, Who did I have a starter jacket for? Cowboys? No. <laughs> I don't think anybody would guess. Right, where am I going, Mike? Where Tampa Bay. No, it wasn't Tampa Bay. The New Orleans Saints. Uh, the Aints. The Aints. The Aints. I'm like, I was kind of like him. I'm like, yeah. I, I want to go some. And actually, over the years, they built it back up. But Oh, yeah. When I'm not a team, I follow the team of from college to wherever they go. So I'm like look, looking for all the Michigan players that are out there going, who is it? Where are they at? And, you know, for a while it was awesome to watch Charles do his thing and yeah. Brady's still doing his thing and Ty Law out there. And I just, that's where I, yeah. I, I don't really have a team. <laughs> How long is Brady going to go? Two more years. Two more years. Two more yeah. years. 30, right? He's gonna. There's a couple more records I think he has, and then he's done. Yeah, I mean, I think family obligations and everything else are gonna start weighing on him more than. Yeah, he's just. I mean, I I think more than anything's what's driving him now is just to be, to keep going. Well, it'll, it'll it'll be interesting if he hits that wall like everyone Manning hit. Yeah. It. Montana hit it. Like, everyone hits it at some point. And it's just like you could see it from one year to the next. Just can't throw it. Just can't get it. You guys are, are into health stuff. What do you think about the TB12 method? What do you know about it? It's, I mean, it oh, I mean, the, bi- the biggest thing is what it's based on. I mean, it's based on the anti-inflammatory yeah. diet, the stretching, keeping your tendons, but keeping your keeping your core muscles Building your foundation so that, I mean, I think a lot of times when people, you get out of whack with an injury and then this starts hurting and you're walking away and then, oh, now you're over and you never correct that stuff. Yeah. And I think that's. Well, an anti-inflammatory is like everything. Yeah. Like if if you can remove the things that create the inflammation, I mean, all the studies show over time that your uh, movement is much better your cognitive response is much better it's the whole thing faster feel faster so you know the question is is it does the mind feel the gut or the gut feel the mind and to me the gut is the thing that fuels our brain oh i would agree with that but i think isn't it different for everybody what causes inflammation absolutely and it's knowing what within your system works like what is the good gut bacteria, what's the bad gut bacteria, and then being able to to diagnose that. And really there's, like, I've went through like three of the blood, thing, or, you know, the DNA swabs and all that stuff, and it'll tell you that guys like you and this yeah. gender and these things, right, are um, from this area of Celtic, up, you know, whatever. Right, but they're but they're, but they're guessing. But the right. biggest thing that's consistent with everybody is how much processed food mm-hmm. you take. And I think that's, I mean, you just see a difference when in anything. If you start, if you start eliminating like the less processed food, all of a sudden you got a pretty clean diet. It, I mean, I tell a difference, and you start getting out of whack and start eating out too much. You're like, oh lord, uh, you start feeling once you start go that way. It's what is your experience? Yeah. 
Like what? What is your? What is your? I mean, the question is: Where are we is, at? What, what is your experience? And with it, who's supposed how to does keep it make us on topic feel? here? How does it make <laughs> you feel? And how are you going to be held accountable to it? Like, how are you going to, like to stick to the process? Even if, whether it's TB12 or it's on it, like what I said that I take every morning, and you know, you listen to Eric Thomas or whoever it is, right? Or whether you go that way or you come over and you listen to Tony Robbins, it's how are you waking up every morning? How are you going to stay on point, stay on task, and be a repetitive machine? Show up every day and not have any excuses. TB12 or whatever. But it's kind of like your experience, right? What we're really talking about here is like when you talk about your experience and you're with the big, big brothers, big sisters, right? Yep. The story of that... And knowing all of that backstory, the history, helps you understand and appreciate what you guys are doing and where you're going, right? What's that experience like when you're out there trying to explain it to people or educate people? I think the, uh, the hardest thing for people to wrap their heads around about the work we do is there has been an untold number of dollars and hours spent researching how to help people facing adversity. To, to just make it a, as broad and as simple as it is, you're going to identify whatever issue in society we face. Right. Well, most of it comes back to people facing adversity and whether or not they can overcome that, positive outcomes or not, right? All of the research comes back for kids saying that no matter how much technology advances, um, the single greatest intervention is us. It's people. Quality time safe, stable, nurturing relationship. We can't, you can't fix this problem by building a science lab. Yeah. Or cutting them a check. Don't, don't you just, just cut them a check and just, everything's fine? Right. Build, right? A, build a, a, a beautiful gymnasium, get a cornerstone with your name on it, cut a check, and that, don't, I, I'm not saying those things are bad. Kids need all those things, right? <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah. take this the wrong way. <laughs> but to actually move the needle, and it's one kid, one person at a time. Yeah. And I, I, I just don't think people, I think, I don't know if it's that they don't want to get that involved. If that's the reason why we keep looking for other solutions, even lo- locally as a community, we keep looking for other solutions and it's us. It's got to be us. The research keeps saying it's me and you. We got to mm-hmm. jump in mm-hmm. and get involved. Well, I think it's that we want to, like the ones that are in, the position and typically are in the the position to make change happen and the ones that can see it and are willing to take the risk they don't want to go we our nature is to want to build something different sure that 18 percent of leaders that typically lead the other you know 88 percent or 82 percent um we're always future thinking. We're always out there. We want. We're going to create something better, but then it's only when we come back and go, okay, wait a minute. Most people are relationship driven. They're very present minded. They want to wake up this morning and know. It goes back to Project Aristotle and Google. People want the number one thing they want at work, and I would say at home, at school, or wherever they go, is psychological safety. They want to know that they're going to show up and they're going to be able to dare and dream and go places 
and not be bashed the minute they were wrong and be able to speak those things uh, that they dream about and hope come true, but then sit down and be able to go through a day where they may make a mistake, but they're not going to be ridiculed and bashed for it. That's a good point. And I think there's a disconnect there too. Just because someone has the intervention of a mentor and a kind, caring adult doesn't mean they're not going to make mistakes. The difference is, is how they respond to those mistakes. Yeah. Right? So I... I so my first degree was psychology. Oh, boy. And I worked in a youth home. Okay. Uh, right out of school before I switched and said, nope, There's I'm going to be an reason. architect. Know that. Do what? There's always a first on these podcasts. Uh, I not yeah. <laughs> so things I struggle with because I wanted to work with kids because I always thought, hey, you know, this is this is what shapes our future societies, our yep. kids, right? And, and just like you were saying, it's the connections, it's the resources, it's having the family unit, the structure that a lot of kids don't have. And I can say in my time there, 99% of the reason these kids were failing or how they were was their parents. And their parents shouldn't, whether it shouldn't be parents, whether they were addicted to drugs, whether it was they were never around, whatever it was. And we bring these kids and you give them a little bit of structure. I mean, you're talking a week or two. And they respond right away. And they're just happy they're doing their, I mean, and their parents are just looking at you like, oh, doesn't do that at home. You're like, okay, do you do this? Did you? Oh, that's not important. I mean, they're literally like, you see that, and it's like, you're never going to help these kids because they're always going to go back to this world. And then you talk, and then we talked about, touched on why. And I think the why is simple because it's politicians get involved and it's easier for a politician to sell to masses to get votes that's the we got to put more money in schools and we got to put more we got to do this and it's all these other reasons other than hey they're just bad parents yeah and and that's as long as people keep making babies there's going to be a need for organizations like big brothers big sisters we can't control human behavior and adults are going to make mistakes and unfortunately oftentimes it's the kids that pay the price yeah because like Kids need structure. They need loving and supportive environments at home. And if they're not getting it at home, where are they going to get it from? Right. And I and so I talk I talk to several people, and they're like, "Well, yeah, but we're going to spend a trillion dollars in our schools, and we're going to." And it's always and I always look at them and go the same thing. How it hasn't worked since I've been alive, since our parents have been alive. But what they really need is resources. And if you're not giving them the resources to be able to achieve, to have structure, to be shown a different path, to be taught, to be... Uh, throw, how much, throw a number out it there, money, it's never going to make a difference. It, it all, it's all about, once again, relationships. And, Andrew, I want you to come back with some of the statistics, the numbers that you're serving, the number of mentors that you yeah. have, the those things. But, you know... I always go back to the one tool without strong communication. And I mean, we all are speaking the same language. And you understand what love means. I understand what love means. And we're all on the same page, right? That vocabulary, what that means. Mm -hmm. Or friendship or, you know, caring. What is the definition of caring and and having a unique where we're speaking, not French to Spanish and then Spanish to 
you know, my southern Indiana slang that I speak. Um, whatever that is, we all have those meanings and, and being able to clearly define what that vocabulary is and be able to speak that objectively through common common tools. But to and to get to the that gets us to relationship. And I'm st stumbling all over this because <laughs> I am, unfortunately, the guy that needed exactly what you offer, the connection, many, many years ago. Um, I did not have that guardrail. I did not have that support base. I, I mean, I, w I grew up in a divorced household uh, back in the early 80s where everything was fun right you know party all day party all night do all those things and you know I was at, as, at somebody else's house I was doing all those things I was taking care of my sister going to school and I'm talking about in sixth grade you know fire up the grill when I get home from school like whatever was in there I try to throw it in the in there and make those things but I, I was riding to St. Louis with my father-in-law um, Sunday to go watch my son play. My daughter got, uh, the vibe was beat in the first round of her tournament, and I knew it was three hours. So we made arrangements, and my uh, in-laws came down, and we just immediately, John said, let me get in the car and go with you. I'll go watch Bailey with you. And all the way there, he just talked about if you just would have had some guardrails. Like, if you just would have had that one person to go in the backyard. Like, we were talking about Bailey mm -hmm. and talking about his, his thing and that he does, and he was like, you know, if if you would have had that, it's a shame that you didn't have that. But, like, what are some of the numbers that, you know, that you have at Big Brothers, Big Sisters that reinforce this one-on-one -on -one connection of strong communication that builds relationship on alignment on what we need to do with the capacity of the people we have? 98% of the children in our program improved attitudes towards risky behaviors one year after being, having a mentor. So when we think about what risky behaviors are, drugs, opioids, yeah, mischievousness or w whatever, guardrails, right? Mm -hmm. 98%. I mean, that's pretty it's pretty strong. Um, over the last year, we've served I think 243 kids and their families. Mm -hmm. This year we've made 80 new match relationships, so 80 kids got mentors in this calendar year alone. Our goal is 100. We've got what two months left yeah i think we're gonna do it um we would be there now if it wasn't for that evil c word um and so we have site-based matches too where mentors can come into the schools and mentor yeah that's been put on hold in different school corporations because of covid so we would already be there but i mean um our numbers are are really really strong yeah. I, i'm happy to publish our numbers like i said 98 percent improve attitudes towards risky behaviors. We improve academic success. Uh, it's over 90% improved connections with their own family outside of having a mentor. Like outside of their mentor relationship, they improve their relationship with their own family. So, I mean, the, the emotional response is going to be stronger. Like this isn't a tutoring program. Our, our goal is not to get the kids to read out of their grade level. Yeah. That'll come. If we if we can fix the foundation of their emotional support, mm -hmm. yeah, the grades will come. And if they're avoiding risky behaviors, 
all that other stuff, they'll be more likely to graduate on time. We, I think we're at like 97% success of graduation rate on time. So really strong there too. So I mean, for the people who love numbers and data and metrics, um, we can talk that. Yeah. For the people who like the the sappy feel good stuff, we can talk that too. So I mean, it's just it's it's whatever we can tell the story however people prefer to digest it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're on the wrong podcast if you want the sappy story. Yeah. <laughs> that's our two worst. And yeah. <laughs> two worst. Yeah. That's of, uh, nurture. It's like yeah. <laughs> All right. Great. So what's next? Yeah, <laughs> you're talking about creative guardian or creative pioneer guardians, connectors, nurturers, Mike and I, somehow, some way through the cosmos are the same exact voice orders, like three percent of the population, something like that. And you happen to work in the same happen building. To say, yeah. yeah, same building. Met, met yeah. through Yeah. Met through this you know. Through a servant leadership organization. Same <laughs> organization that yeah. I met the two of you individually on. Yeah. yeah. So once again, that, uh, but that's why I think you and I agree and, and work so closely together is that we know that we know we're self aware enough to know that that connector nurturer, we, we need to lean into that. We need to listen to them more. That's what makes us better. It's not right. quote our what we would say nemesis voice that nurturer, that I care, I will, I want. Like we know that they represent a large percentage of the population, forty three percent, and those are people who are present minded, relational oil within organizations, care deeply for people, will are the caregivers of of all. But without them, we miss the we miss the mark. And that's where our pioneer comes out and says, hey, I want to be better at this. And, and that caring piece, um, the relationships are very, very vital. In, the, in all the research you've done on uh, the five voices and the, the nurturer, and the, is there any distinction between the gender lines? Nope. Have, have you come across it? The reason why I ask. Nope. There's no. The reason why I ask is because of the the youth that are on our waiting list, it's 50-50, mm-hmm. basically, boys and girls. But 70% of our volunteers are female. Okay. So females volunteer at a, a significantly higher rate. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we're able to serve, more, match more girls. Yeah. We mm-hmm. are boys. And I just, I didn't know if uh, if, if there was something. Through Meyer, we, you know, it's all based out of Myers-Briggs deep dive, like where they're at and where Myers-Briggs was at, where Strength Finders was at. Um, where disc is at, yeah, and then how do you digest that and spin and so that you and I can sit with a sixth grader and say this is what nurturer means, not INTP or ISTJ or whatever that is, but my my gut reaction and and I'll put this in some notes or something is I'll go and look that if the baseline for all this data that has been shaped through Giant see if there are gender lines that say more are nurturers, more connectors, female versus male or whatever that is. I'll put that in the show notes. I do not know that, and that's a wonderful question. Well, I was going to wrap it back to experience, and what is that experience? You know, girls and boys, as youth, they're slightly different experience growing up. Sure, Right, depending on how, and a boy, you know, obviously, especially in, certain areas of the community are going to grow up to be rough 
tough, hide, be guarded more. Whereas I feel like maybe girls can open up more. So maybe there's a relationship there and an experience that, you know, when girls volunteer to mentor girls versus guys trying to, I mean, if I have no, I feel like girls, they can, their backgrounds don't matter. Whereas with guys, maybe their background matters a little more. If I don't understand your background, it's going to be harder for me to connect with you. Well, see, for me, that all, it's really the innate wiring that we talk about all the fun. Like, most people will, you have choice. You have you have nature and you have nurture, mm-hmm. and there's choice, and that becomes your leadership voice. So if you grow up in a dominating, you know, pioneer household, and you're a nurturer, you are going to be driven to results, produce, quit crying, get out of the way, like it's win, 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 strategic, military thinking, whatever it is, and you're going to go there. And you will eventually, as much as you don't want to, that's your operating system for 18 years until you move on to the next thing. And that's where most people go, oh, well, wait a minute. When everybody says you, you go to college to find yourself or whatever it is, you get out there and then people start talking about nature and nurture, your EQ, PQ, IQ. Well, what's that mean? And, well, you know, I was pushed to be an accountant, but you know what? I'm, like, when I sit down and I do repetitive tasks all day long, I literally want to go at home at 7 p.m. and go to bed. Yeah. Well, obviously you're not doing something right. Even mm-hmm. though mom and dad are driving you to be the best accountant in the world, we got to get you in your 70-30 and your peace index up to say... Guess what? This thing that you've been driven through nature or nurture is not your nature. And we have to get you to a 70-30 mindset of you're doing 70% task that you do every day that in that empower you, that make you really um, energized. And your 30% of your day is actually things that, that drain you. And then your peace index is your people, your place, your personal health, your provision, um, and your purpose. So those are the two things. But what we do, it's interesting that you say that, Mike, because I come from that other side of the tracks where I, I mean, my dad and I, I didn't talk to him for like 15 years. And I listened to you, like you, I, I know your story a little bit, and you had those guardrails and you had, like, I didn't. So now I actually over lean into my kids because I don't want to be that one, right? I don't want to be the one that was absent. So when you say the females are actually, you know, they, they're pushed in that. Actually, when you grow up in a, you want and desire more for your children, I didn't have that. So now I overcomplicate everything mm-hmm. because I don't want to be that guy. And, you know, I don't want to go hunting. Like, I don't leave and... Like, say, okay, for these three months, I'm just going hunting, and I'll see you later. Yeah. I just, I give up everything and say, oh, you're going to play baseball from January until December? I'll follow you everywhere because I want to be there. I might, you yeah. know, I that caring and that nurture and all those things, I believe it, there is nature and nurture, and you just really have a choice. But it's the experience, it's the nature that you grow up in that really guides that. So maybe in... In the, what I would say, what would have been the stereotypical family upbringing, maybe the male is 
the way that you're describing it. But where I come from, on the other side, where there wasn't one around, no. Like, we, I, like, overthink it. So Because I th- try to overprotect it. So what do you think m- is the motivator for people to volunteer for a program like this? How do we better leverage that? I think well, it's how well they can get engaged. And, and care. One, one is always caring about it, right? It, they, they care about your mission. They care about what you're doing. But where I was going with that experience was more the engagement, right? And I think it'd be because, again, data, show me the data, is when you talk about, hey, females volunteer at a higher rate mm-hmm. and we can match them with growth, what's driving that? Is it just the ability? Do they have a greater ability to connect mm-hmm. than men and boys? I don't know. Yeah. That's a nature question. That's right. right. I mean, that's a, oh, that's exactly. by innate, like going back to how are you wired? Right. Is that built into? And a lot of guys, probably a little bit of maturity too, because females mature a little faster. They can probably, they're probably offering that to girls what they need. Whereas guys at a certain age, you're just PlayStation and Tostinos. You know, it's not, you're not, you're not, per, you're not thinking in those terms because you haven't got there yet in your life. And you asked the question, like, what is it? Why would you want, why would you engage in a program like this? It's, it's like to see, number one, everybody has to see a need. Like they have to see a need and a want and desire to, that connects with them and their story. Sure. Um, and then be able to shape an outcome that not only they want, but the individual on the other side wants. I think maybe at times when we don't have that shared experience up front and we have that shared conversation of what are you looking for out of this relationship? What am I looking for out of this relationship? You know, and an accidental mentor is going to come in and say, do it my way, and this is the way, and this is the outcome that you will receive. Success my way, and success means to me this. And my path to success is this. And if you want to get to this success, this is great. But if you don't, I don't know how I can be in this, right? So you you have to be able to shape the relationship up front. I'm going to go back to it. You have to have strong communication that builds the relationship that gains alignment with those two people on where they need to go with the capacity that they have. So they have to have a common platform. Like maybe, you know, like I said, a high, someone who's extremely successful believes success looks like this. But if they're accidental in that mentorship and say this, you know, this status, this, 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 this equals success without leaning into the mentee and say, what is your definition? Like, because they might just say definition for success for me is to, you know, to graduate on time with a, you know, GPA, yeah. maybe. Well, and I feel like where you're going with that is like that. Part of what I feel like, and I'd be curious what you see, um, is that everyone says, "Well, here's how you get here," and then you have the youth that says, "I want that," and you say, "Here's how you get there," and they go, "I don't want to do that." And you go, "Then you're never getting there," and they go, "Yeah, I will. I'll just do it different." And it's like, no, no, there is no different. Yeah, and so that's one of. Uh, one of the key things we train our mentors on mm-hmm. is that our role as mentors is not to shape these kids into our own image or our, our preferred image for them. It's to help foster their own 
interest, yeah. right? To help them be the best version of themselves that they can be. And and so you're right. If you've got a very business-minded person that says, if you want to succeed in business, here are the steps you need to take, blah, 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 blah. And that may be true. But maybe these kids don't care about business. Maybe they're, right. maybe they're artistic, right? Yeah. Maybe they're a chef. Maybe they're a chef. We need chefs. Yeah. Right? And so it's, it's I think... I think it's hard for some people. I think it's a humility issue. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. No, that's being a self-aware leader to know that, right. yeah. you know, I'm not going to sit down and say this is my definition of success. It's it's actually um, one of the foundations that I find most compelling when I sit down and actually do my study within Giant is that it's about being interested, not being interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm more interested in what you have to say in your questions and ask more questions and getting you to understand that I am, like, I I have to have all the data, right, and and to be able to, so that I'm not creating malpractice and you understand that I'm 100% for you. And once we get there, then we we can move it on. So, you know, instead of just always hitting it with, Here's what here's my tool I have, or here's this this thing. It's ask more questions, be more interested, and instead of being like I think personally, the accidental mentor walks in and just says, "I've got all this great knowledge. I want to share. Like I want to do. I want you to drink from a fire hose." Instead of really getting to know that person through great communication that builds a relationship, that you know where they need to go, and you actually mold your story and build a bridge to where they want to go. And that's what's interesting with COVID, right? Because what you guys do is a fundamentally connected, physical, one-on-one, we're together, inject COVID. How do you, did you guys bring in the digital? Have you expanded your digital? Have you done anything different? I mean, don't say anything that'll get you in trouble. No, I'm not. You know, or get you on the wrong side of politics. But you know what I mean? Like, how do you maintain that relationship? We don't have a ton of data yet because it's so new. Right. But based on our limited data that just our agency has had, the relationships that we created virtually failed. They just do. I, 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 I love technology. It makes our life easier. But there is no replacement for human interaction. And especially in something that is as emotionally connected as, as what we're doing, you can't, you can't take, all right, Mike, you say, hey, I want to be a mentor in your program. And I say, great. <clears throat> um, here's Tim. You guys, without spending any amount of time together at all, I want you two to have a meaningful conversation that's going to result into <laughs> a positive outcome for Tim. Right. It doesn't happen. Like A lot of the work we do looks like pizza and ice cream. Of course it is. How are you going to build trust with a kid? It takes time. Sure. And you can't, I, and I don't know, maybe they'll come up with some technology, but I, I just don't think you can replace the time spent together in building a foundation of trust. Most of these kids in our program have had adults that have let them down. And so if, if you show up when you say you're going to show up, do the things you say you're going to do, you're 90% home. And so if, if it, it, that... There's no virtual option for that, in my right. opinion. There's no replacement. We had some. We had. We had to respect people's health, 
if someone said, hey, I, I, I'm not comfortable meeting in person right now, we understand. But we had a lot of matches that said, hey, we're going to figure it out. We're going to walk our dogs into the neighborhood five feet apart from each other mm -hmm. with masks on. We're going to figure out a way to stay connected, and they survived. And, well, an amazing thing is we bring that full circle. It's like it's hard enough in your nuclear family that you see people all the time to maintain that trust and connection, yeah, right, and 100%. making sure you're being there for them, let alone bringing an outsider that, you know, to that relationship. And so, yeah, beyond, it's just one of those things beyond the physical, beyond being there for them, beyond having time. And, and it's amazing what, yeah, I picked up on what you said. You said you were going to do this, and you did it. Sometimes it's as easy as that, and it's not that much more complicated. It's really not. But it takes, it takes effort, effort and it takes time. Yeah. You know, it, it takes a while for us to get to those meaningful conversations, for a kid to feel that this is an emotionally safe place where they can actually be vulnerable because most of them have pretty, pretty thick shields. Yeah. You know? And how long do those relationships last? Our average MASH relationship is over three years. We enrolled children between the ages of 8 and 12, and ideally they stay mashed until the child graduates from high school. There's always going to be factors that play into that. Sure. Sometimes people move. Right. Um, but, you know, our average match relationship is, is a little over three years. And do you see a lot? Do you see repeat? I guess, do you see your same volunteers wanting another mentor? Or is it kind of like, hey, I did this. It was a great relationship. Yes. And I'm exhausted. <laughs> Both. Yeah. Both. And there's a lot of there's a lot of different demographics that come into being a mentor. I think one of the, the more popular ones are, are people that have had children that have gone off to college or, or, yeah. have, or have left home for whatever reason. And now there's this void in their life. And so they're looking to fill that void with by mentoring a, a kid. And sure. that, and that, that makes sense. It, for those people, the, the timeline of when, you know, say they stay matched with this kid for five years, they may have grandkids by the time that match is over and they're going right. to invest that. And so it just <laughs> depends on, you know, individual circumstances. I think the average age of our mentor right now is like 35. Really? Because we've got a fair number of, of, of college-age people, mm -hmm. young people who are uh, maybe single or married and don't have kids yet that want to do this. And then we also have the opposite end. The empty nesters that are looking to sure. fill that kid for, and they're yeah makes sense. So, kind of talked about impacting, um, but talk about service in the community and the importance of that. You know, from for big brothers, big sisters. I know. I think next Thursday you have a gala. I we do, and so there's yeah. you know there. There, like you said, there's always a financial component and support um, as well as, as being a mentor. Sure. So, uh, you know, we do have a gala next, next Thursday. A quick plug about this. All nonprofits have, well, are founded on hopes and dreams mm -hmm. and mission. Yeah. But they actually run on money. Especially, <laughs> you know, um, we receive no government funding we don't monetize any portion of our program we're 100 percent relying on on donor funding so we do ask for money a lot yeah <laughs> and and i'm unashamed to do it because i believe in what we're doing um but the impact on the community i i 
I think it's easy. I think we all, I don't know about that, but if you watch the news, it's easy to see that there's issues we would like to improve mm -hmm. in our community, whether it be violent crime, whether it be substance abuse, addiction, mental health. If we wait to fix these problems to when people are adults, we've, we've waited too long. Yeah. We've messed up. You're almost waiting. If you wait till they're teenagers, you're waited too long. Are, a lot of times. I would agree. And that's why the, the data, the evidence, the science, whatever you want to say, of why we match the children when we match the children is so important. Because if that 8 to 12 range, if you think about it, is, is like the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th grade, that early kind of mm -hmm. middle school years. Yeah. For most kids, and for me, I know it was, A, those are some pretty awkward times. And, and B, that is when a lot of kids are aligning with who they want to be. What group do you want to go with? Or what path are you going to take when you get to high school? And so if we can intervene in that critical time period, even if the match, um, you know, breaks up or whatever, if they can have that resource in those critical times, by the time they get to high school, they're more likely to make better choices, is, is what the data shows. Yeah, there was one of the YouTube videos um, that I listened to this morning from a... Uh, inspiring individual basically for one demographic showed that if they don't if you are not able to read by the time you're in third grade uh, it was a very high statistic of you would end up uh, either incarcerated or in some kind of um, you know assist you would be moved on and I think there I think you have to keep drilling because I don't think it's a cognitive thing of being able to read that is the indicator I think yeah. that's a lagging indicator so why aren't they reading at an age-appropriate level? Yeah. So, again, that caring I think right. seeing the result of what that reading does and not just communicating in a way. But also, like you said, sharing the data. information. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's great. That's one piece. It's what are the piece, other right. five factors? What are the other ten factors? What are the other, like, bad data, bad decisions? That's kind of where we are. We want to cherry-pick data. Then make all these bad decisions off of it and then go, oh, no, 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 it was right that we cherry-picked that data and made these bad decisions. And you're like, no, it wasn't. So, and this is an easy example. That's probably, I'm not saying probably, I'm sure it's right. Mm -hmm. So a policymaker hears that and says, fine, we're going to provide books to every kid. In every home, they're going to have at least 30 books. And we're going to address this issue straight on. And now kids can read or have access to reading materials but did we actually solve the problem no because some of those books are going to be used to keep the house warm <laughs> I'm well, gonna, you know <laughs> or they yeah i mean the reality again as most people say it's the family and they're right are they reading to them at an early age are they engaging them to read yeah. or they, which takes time but it's so much harder it's so much harder to actually invest and fix that problem right. than it is to throw money and books at it. Yeah. And oh by and as everybody knows, no one wants to hear you're a bad parent. No well Right? And that's not gonna come out of anybody's mouth. And polit politicians <laughs> they're fighting for their jobs every right. so many years. They need wins on their resume. And so hey we had a reading issue, we invested this, we increased third grade reading by X percentage and then everybody pats themselves on the back and we 
move on to the next crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Man, we've got an uh, hour and plus in here, and we didn't <laughs> even ask one of these questions. <laughs> hey, no, no, I, no, we got a couple we got of them. In yeah. Hey, we weren't exactly verbatim, <laughs> yeah. but, you well, know, that's, re- that's reason good why conversation, it's so awesome right? Here. Yeah, it's all about the conversation. Um, you know, as we move forward, like, I'm interested to hear, like, once again, that I talked about nature and nurture. Yeah. Um, how is your upbringing here in Evansville, like your your time here, impacted you and where you're at today and, and on your mission? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I don't know uh, because I've never experienced anything else. You yeah. know, so I... I've. This is almost embarrassing. I've never left the zip code that I live in today. I. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I'm with you. I grew. I was. You know, was born on the west side. Grew up on the west side. Went to USI. Got married. Found a job. Stayed on the west side. Yeah. And so I have no real, um, different cultural experience to compare it to. I the the reason why, you know, we're probably here is because this is where our support system is yeah oh um this is where our our families are and and this has always felt like home and i i don't don't know if i'm answering your question the way you're asking it but i you know i think for people that go away for college maybe see a different part of the country or a different community or or, or have some comparative experience um i don't know i just never flew far from home I love it because what you're talking about is is that support system that's always been around you that, that helped guide you. Like uh, I talked to uh, an individual yesterday who was in our office for a couple hours, and he was talking about from his cultural standpoint of how we, you know, we have grade school, we have high school, we ship them off, you know, our children off, and you know, from that point on, you know, they're kind of on their own and then they start their families and they do their things and they push out. His experience is I want my mom with me. Yeah. All the way around. Because I want to be able to go to my elder and ask. Like I, I want that support. Like I want everybody around me and, and we want to have those relationships with our son and daughter after they go off. We want them to come back and we still want them close. And I, I think having kids change that. Like, for me, just staying here was more of a convenience thing. Mm-hmm. And now it's like uh, my, my grandparents on my mom's side are still living, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, my kids get to experience this often, yeah. not just once a year or, or whatever. And I think that's a part of the reason why we're so connected to here. And I can, uh, my wife is traveling for work this week. I couldn't do it. I couldn't have my two kids by myself <laughs> do work without my support system on both my wife's family and my family um it's just not possible (laughs) yeah so i don't know yeah so mike uh can i borrow like do you want to yeah get one of your go where you want to go here um i didn't know i mean we can skip over some of the yeah no i mean i think a lot of that goes but the one question we haven't asked that is going to be meaningful to everyone on this conversation is, you know, once again, getting the common vocabulary. Yeah. 
um, what is your what does the word experience mean to you? Because that's what this is all about. Like, you know, whether it be physical experiences, relationship experiences, whatever that is, so that, you know, people can gauge what that word means to you and so they can connect to everything that we've really talked about. So what does the word experience mean to you? I, when I think about the experiences in my life that I actually remember, um, almost all of them, uh, all of them, elicited a strong emotional response. And so I, I wouldn't consider, you know, taking uh, an exam in college and experience. I don't remember them. I don't even, I don't remember most of, <laughs> you know, like there's a lot that happened. A lot of information was processed and, and a lot of work went out that I don't even, never registers, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't come to the front of my brain. But things that carried a strong emotional response those are the things I remember. Those are the things I consider the experiences in my life that led to where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I'm, that may be different for most people, but I would imagine it's, it's similar in, in some regards that um, the things that moved us emotionally, either positively or negatively, are the, are the things that we really remember the most. Right? Yeah. So... Um, as we go into the end of the podcast here, uh, we're way into an hour twenty now. Um, let's uh, let's talk about switching in just a little bit and looking at from a global or local or whatever perspective. Is there a person, product, or brand that you think has most holistic that experience? Like who's doing it right? Like an individual, a brand company like who's delivering on their why mm. wow their purpose man that's a good question um, I, I don't really know how to answer that. I it's uh, information today is so polluted um, in my, I, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit cynical here but uh, I just we don't trust a lot of things anymore. Right. And so it, to find something that feels holistic and authentic, I think, is tough. Like, it almost, what any brand I th- or any experience, I don't know. It feels like it's hard to find something that doesn't have a motive behind it. Mm-hmm. And so to find the organizations that are truly, are the, the companies or the products that are just truly trying to help people um, it's kind of hard to identify right now I, I don't I don't honestly have a good answer for that I love the honesty mm. with that <laughs> that is yeah. we are in a time where that couldn't be more of the case I, I, and I don't want to get political but I, I've seen they're now running political ads within religious institutions and um, as somebody who's whose faith is important to them that scares me big time like are, are we never to, to, to blur those lines to me is, is, is scary and troubling and so I, I don't know I'm struggling right now to find something that feels authentic and holistic I would say so what's one thing over the next year that you your family you know 
big brothers, big sisters, whatever that is that, that you look forward to experiencing? Personally, um, you know, I, I, this is an exciting time in my life personally just because of the age of my children. Yeah. Like I've got a one-year-old and a six-year-old, and uh, I'm just looking forward to next year, within the next year of, of living what I think a lot of people would say is like the best time of being a parent. And, I, and I'm sure all times of being a parent are good, but I'm just personally looking forward to spending this time with my kids. From a, a, a work standpoint, I, I feel like there's some momentum behind what we're doing right now. I feel as, as COVID restrictions die down and people feel more comfortable, I think our message is starting to resonate a little bit. I think the, the data-minded people are, are seeing the impact. There's, there is a, a large um, research effort going into ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. Mm-hmm. And I've heard it, the school corporations are starting to buy into it. Um, I've heard the United Way use this verbiage before. Other nonprofits are starting to buy into this idea of Adverse Childhood Experiences. And according to um, the Indiana Youth Institute, the single greatest intervention is a safe, stable, nurturing relationship. And so, I, like, it's, it's nice to know that there, there other people are starting to notice. Now, I don't even care if it's big brothers, big sisters, or if it's another, if the school corporations find a way to um, adopt this mentality. Yeah. But if we know that something actually works, Let's get behind it. Yeah. So I think it's exciting times to be in this field right now because there's the research is starting to prove that it really works. Aces. I need to look this up because I just finished. So uh, Susie Lenz, she's one of my uh, close, actually Sharpa mentors, uh, and she was telling me about a book. I kind of told her my story, and she said you really need to read. And, or watch, read first in Hillbilly Elegy <laughs> and then watch the movie on Netflix. She shows your, the experience that you're talking about um, very much you would connect in this mindset of the working middle class that went to work and then the manufacturer, you know, the industrial revolution gone, start shipping everything out and the thing that they went to work for is removed from them, they mm-hmm. remove, go, you know, it's about us, it's about the family, it's about the core. But there's, in his book, I believe he may be talking about this, I need to look at this more, but there's seven key triggers mm. that really create what we would say today is PTSD sure. for youth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And every one of those, um, in some way, shape, or form, <laughs> those triggers, um, I can remember, but I need to go look up ACEs. This is... ACEs, trauma-informed care, it all, it all comes back from the same research. Yeah. Because there used to be a statistic going way back many years ago, but when, when I was studying this, but there was a statistic, and depending on the type of trauma that that child experienced, it was X amount of years before they truly got over it, truly got through it, and it wasn't affecting their decision-making. Yeah, time. Um, but, you know, there's also uh, another interesting um, field of research going into this, but I'm, I'm also excited about. Okay, so we know that there are certain populations of, of youth that have high number of ACEs. Mm-hmm. 
what career paths are better served by people who have experienced this? And, and, and so there is some research going into this that's like, you know, situations that require like fight or flight syndrome. Yeah. I mean, they, there's actually some, some emotional advantage to kids who have experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. And so if we can help, you know, find their place in life, even after their childhood about, you know, mm-hmm. what will be an, um, a successful adult life too, I think is pretty cool. Yeah. The fight or flight, not Asprey, like a whole thing on, <laughs> like we can actually become wired to nothing but flight. Sure. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, and well, and you can, on. Mm-hmm. But it's also the, uh, ah, you made me lose my train of thought. But, but there's also an aspect of you have nothing to lose. Right. Once you have something to lose, your mentality around everything starts to change, whether it's just losing a relationship or losing yes. a job. While it doesn't have to be the most glamorous job in the world, there is something that happens when you have something to lose. When you have nothing to lose. You know, I that's, that's super interesting because I... Aside from the fact that I don't want to do bad things, <laughs> right? Right. The, one of the biggest motivations in my life to, to st- not go to prison, okay, right. isn't because I'm scared of breaking the law. It's because I don't want to hurt the people that tr- have trust, right. b- have relationship with me. And, and so, if you don't have a trusting relationship with somebody that you're afraid of lo- of losing, you're more likely to make risky decisions. I think you're right. I think we could continue on for another. An hour and a half, two we're hours. Gonna, we're going to pull story. out this yeah. pod deck because we've always done it. We're going to keep right. consistent. So before Sean asks that last question. so <laughs> I right. know you saw it when you first walked in. Yeah. Yeah. No, I guess you uh, could use it in a lot of different ways, but it was something Sean found. I think there's a different, there's a series, right? Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a series. You can buy the whole, the whole box. This is for podcasts. It's basically like it asks you, you know, your most intimate details of your life. No, it's just questions. It's just generic questions, I think, to get a conversation going. You just pull a card. We'll answer two, or you want us to, or we don't, depending on. Oh, my God. What a... What a card to pull. Now, did I read this to you two and you two answer this? No, this is for you first, and we can... And if you want us to answer, we will too, but... I mean, what a... Oh, my What a dark (laughs) card to pull. Ouch. How would you like to die? Uh, Preferably peacefully. I was going to say, that's pretty easy. Um, And uh, I guess at an appropriate age and... uh, Surrounded by people that I love, I think that um, I think that's pretty probably a generic common answer I would imagine, but uh, I certainly um, I don't know wouldn't want to die violently. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> I know that that one's like who wouldn't answer in my sleep? Yeah, peacefully. Right. Just go to bed one night and then you just never wake up because you know that. I mean, yeah, yeah I guess you could regret not. Have knowing, I just think it would be any other way would be, yeah, I don't want to experience that right before I die. Yeah, so to bring <laughs> some levity to it, what's that famous quote from Caddyshack? When he's like, so when I die, I'm going to have full consciousness because he was caddying <laughs> for the Dalai Lama. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I don't know. I, I, I haven't put much mm. thought into it. Um, I think that's probably if you if you do put a lot of thought into how how you die, it's probably you may want to seek therapy. Yeah, you're gonna get pretty morbid. Yeah. Cause. Yeah. All right, Sean, you want to answer that one? Uh, I just want to be around the ones that uh, mean the most. Yep. Uh, I want to gaze into their eyes one more time and and just reaffirm that this whole journey around the sun, these however many years, my goal is 92. 92? Yeah. Oh, you got a, a numerical. Yeah, there's a numerical. Number. There's a number. Yeah, in see, there. I, I don't have that. Um, upload me. Upload my consciousness. Can we get that here? Yeah. I'll, I'll take it. 92, and I hit that number. I mean, 45, I didn't get to c- celebrate. So 40, it was actually 90, and then now double where I'm at today <laughs> in November. Well, of if you 14th, keep doubling, that's, yeah. Well, we, yeah. Just keep doubling it I'm every year. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm like, like most, you know. Just how much is more enough? Well, one more year, one more cent, one more dollar, one more, one more hello, how are you? Well, there is a theory right now that we are at a point where we can live, physically live forever, but no one knows how that mentally would transpire. Pass. I, I don't, I, I think. I don't want to go there. No, either. I th- I want to live until it stops being fun, I think, if, if, if life becomes um miserable existence because of my physical condition um, yeah one of the biohack guys says he's going like 160 and, and i just can't imagine that well but the, that's what the, they're saying they're saying you can live a healthy lifestyle forever like mm-hmm. you can reach a point because of what but how are you going to decline like right now the physical they're getting that down they think but it's the mental that they don't know that they can get down yeah, you just like because you might lose, yeah, you might live to 160, but you'll be senile for 60 of those years. You know, you'll be our president. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I, there's, our, our, our numbers just went through the road. Yeah. <laughs> just got, Thank you. We're now off YouTube. <laughs> yeah, now we have the, uh, now we're being fact-checked. Yeah. It said president and cognitive, like we're being fact-checked now. <laughs> I didn't say which president. I, maybe there, you know, it could be a, maybe something here could, locally we're talking about. Or maybe president of the board of directors or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, Sean, maybe you could fix this whole situation and just ship him some of those supplements. And <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that there's there's enough of those being administered. <laughs> <laughs> it might be too late. Yeah. Um, all right, <laughs> pull it all back. Pull Come it all on, back. we've skidded all over this road today. Like, <laughs> you know what? That's what happens when you walk in, and you know, one experience from the next to the next, and you know, you have to have time. Fight for the highest possible good of this podcast. Wasn't I? Yeah. I didn't have that mental uh, reflection before we started. Keep it on track. Keep it on track. So, um, how do our listeners connect with Andrew Bacchus? The Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Southwestern Indiana. How do we connect with you? Great question. So the easiest way is on our website, mentoringkids.org. I will, uh, if you're hearing this and you feel motivated to mentor, thank you. Um, the easiest way to apply is, is at mentoringkids.org. There's a very easy um, button there, big button. It's like the first one you see when you open the page. You have to answer a very short questionnaire um, with your contact information so we can schedule a, a 
meeting with you. Um, it is a little involved. I mean, obviously, we're putting um, adults in the care, custody, and control of children. So I, I hope people understand that we do uh, a little bit of background check and reference checks and spend a little time to make sure that's a safe person to be around kids. And also so we can get to know you. We yeah. want this to be a good organic relationship. Um, so if you're super, super into, um, I don't know, science and we've got a kid who's super, super into sports, that maybe not make the best relationship. So we, we spend time to get to know the, the child, get to know you. Um, and then uh, our goal is to have you matched within 30 days. So mentoringkids.org. We also have a gala coming up next Thursday. We still have a few seats available. Um, uh, information can be found about that on all of our social media. Um, if you want to look into that, uh, we're going to highlight some of the, the feel-good success stories of our program. And, and uh, I think the people who have invested in our agency deserve to, to hear those and celebrate those with us. So that's what we've got going on. Wonderful. Mike? Any uh, closing comments today as we wrap up at 530 on Main? No. It was great having you. Enjoyed the conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you, uh, once again, you can find at 530 on Main on all the podcast platforms. That's me being a, a creative. I'm sure there's a podcast platform that we're not on, but guess what? If we are not on it, there's a form on extendgroup.com and uh, vpsarc.com that will allow you to tell us that we're not on a platform. So I'm, I make sure that, you know, we're, I know we're on the big ones right now. I believe we're on Spotify. We're on, you know, uh, podcast on iTunes. We're on Google. We're on, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, but you can listen to it on, on the website. Uh, you can actually, uh, portions of these audio pieces end up in social media and other stuff. So uh, once again, it's uh, vpsarc.com has a big link on there for App 530 on Main. Extendgroup.com has a big link there. You can like, share, whatever it is you can recommend. Uh, you can tell us we're one star. You can tell us we're five star. And you can tell us who needs to be on the next one. So uh, please share it with your friends, your family. Uh, I've started to listen to them again. And, you know, from where it will have 30 at the end of this year. So we took six months off. Uh, so when we started, we'll, we'll have 30 at the end of this year. I believe Andrew is number 28. Joe Grease will be 29. And then we're looking for one more to round out 30. And that's how we'll end 2021. You watch, you rewatch your own podcast? I listen to them, yes. Because there's so much content in them from people like you that sit there that, like we have this conversation. Like I picked up on a thing the other day. We were there was a uh, another community advocate in here, and he was talking about how he has this connection with. He's more into learning from the people who are transplants now. Oh yeah. Because Super what he finds is that the ones who have fought for this quote change and what you see in Evansville today still are like pounding on it like negative nannies like we still need to do this and we still need to do this and, sure. and what what I found interesting is he said that you know what the ones who come from Memphis or the ones that come from Chicago or come from you know Columbus Ohio come here and they're like you guys don't understand what you have you just keep looking at the 
10% that's wrong instead of the 90% that's right. And it really hit home. I'm that's like, interesting. I, it's real interesting. You guys have fought so long and so hard that you just want to keep fighting to make it better when really you just have to lean in to what you have. Yeah. Hmm. So listening to little bits and pieces. I, I've i been given that feedback that it's great to watch your presentations for self-coaching. like mm-hmm. Can't do it. No. I'm not. I'm not strong enough to watch my own stuff and critique myself. My ego, I think, would be too bruised. It's the exact same reason I can't do yoga. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to force myself in 2022 to do, do yoga, yoga, though. Good for I you. I can't sit. I just can't. My my brain is going to go, you're in this pose for this long, and whatever. It, like, there's going to be so much. Uh, what are you trying Discomfort. to hide? What are you trying? Yeah, just... Just to be able to sit there for an hour in those poses, in that mindfulness around my family going, Bailey is laughing his butt off right now. I know he is. Like, to get out of that mindset and go, all right, we're getting to clarity. We're getting to now. We're getting to present. Yeah. (laughs) It's tough. So, all right, at 530 on Main, brought to you by Extend Group, VPS Architecture, extendgroup.com, VPS Arc. This is the podcast all about the word experiences and i think we've went all (laughs) over the universe today on the word experience and what that means and i thank you andrew bacchus for coming in and spending some time i know we've rescheduled this multiple times and thank you for your persistence of going yes we're going to reschedule that yes we're going to have this conversation mike same thing no we've got things to get to today so Appreciate you and your time and your knowledge and your expertise. Uh, At 530 on Main, Evansville, Indiana. Till next time. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of At 530 on Main, hosted by Sean Collins and Mike Davis. Please leave us a review and share your thoughts on today's episode. Let us know how you've been inspired or what you would like to hear on future episodes. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, help us spread the word. Share us on your social channels. Message a friend. Rate the podcast. Without you, this experience would not be possible.